Welcome to the Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. How did you become the church membership guy? You've written several books on church membership. Um, how did that happen? How did you how did you get into nine marks, and how did this become something that you were so focused on? How long of an answer do you want to that question? <laughs> couple couple minutes, <laughs> as long answer, as you want to get the whole story. <laughs> uh, there was a convergence of several things. Uh, number one, uh, my own experience in churches growing up that were kind of mainstream evangelical and didn't keep track of membership. And that seemed to be uh, uh, seedbeds of nominalism and nominalism then in my own life, right? Naming myself as a Christian from, from a young age and then spending high school and college pursuing the world with all my might and yet continuing to be uh, treated as a Christian and thinking of myself as a Christian, even though I, I, I'm pretty sure I wasn't. Um, so that personal experience of, of carelessness in Christian identity and church membership, uh, and then followed by being a part of an extremely healthy church in Washington, D.C., starting in 96, my early 20s, uh, Capitol Hill Baptist, and the vibrant, wonderful experience of what it meant to be affirmed by the congregation and then engaged by the congregation and overseen by the congregation, encouraged and corrected and built up and participatory in the work of the congregation. The church is not the elders. The church is the members, right? And so my ex my first experience in kind of mainstream evangelical of nominalism, followed by my more vigorous, hearted experience uh, in, in a very engaged membership, were all crucial pieces in my own care. But what the Lord used then, two more streams, stream one, all my studies in political science and political philosophy, uh, undergraduate and then a master's degree in political philosophy. So I'm, I'm thinking in those kinds of structural terms, right, already, uh, authority terms. And then third, this job I got at Nine Marks. And, you know, the, the, the precipitating factor one day, Matt Schmucker and Mark Dever said to me, hey, Jonathan, why don't you write a book on church membership? Okay. Why don't you focus it around the idea of love? Okay. You know, so that's what sparked me starting to write about membership is, is those guys saying, hey, do this. But behind it was a personal experience of nominalism followed by vigorous Christianity and B, my own kind of political philosophical mind which wanted to understand groups and organizations and structures and all of that. And all of that converged, as I say, in, in writing my first book in 2008, nine was published in 10 called church in the surprising offense of God's love. Something like rethinking the doctrines of church membership and discipline followed by a second book on church membership, third book on church discipline. And then, yeah, I've been kind of writing on that stuff ever since. Yeah, rediscovered church is in that vein as well that came out Most last recently, year. I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, surprising offense of God's love is a big, thick book, 
and that was redone. Yeah. Uh, it, was that last year as well? It was shortened uh, into a popular version. I want to say in 2018, 17 or 18, it came okay. out a, a, a shorter, much shorter version called The yeah. Rule of Love. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so Jonathan, so cool. when, when um, I think when people come to church and they, they hear sermons, they would probably expect to hear um, sermons about salvation and through Christ alone and uh, things like that. Uh, why would you say for the, the, the member that a sermon on church membership and ecclesiology um, is important for them to hear and necessary for them to hear? Because being a part of the church is what you are as a Christian, right? Your conversion is individual. You repent and believe and put your trust in Christ and you're reconciled to God in Christ. So it's individual, but it's also corporate. Your conversion is corporate. You are born again into a family. You are mm -hmm. born again into being a brother and sister. Mom and dad go down to the orphanage. They adopt you. You come home. Yeah, yeah, yeah parents now. But you walk through the front door. You look around. And what do you see? Lo and behold, I have brothers and sisters. I've mm -hmm. been adopted into a family. Right? And think of the, the biblical metaphor of, of, of adoption. Where do we see this in the Bible? Think First Peter 2, 9. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people or is it 210 once you were right. have not received mercy but now you have received mercy typically we think of conversion as that second line haven't received mercy have received mercy right okay i'm a christian now. i've received mercy before i didn't have it now i have it but notice what peter places in parallel with that second line once you were not a people now you are a people oh okay the process of receiving mercy and becoming a christian means i've become part of a people what does it mean to be a people what, what obligations do I have? What should I expect of them? Uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus with the people? Well, all of that is your doctrine of ecclesiology. All of that is your doctrine of church membership. So why do we need to teach about it? Because it's the un, because the gospel created it. The gospel created a people, right? Your conversion is into a people. So it's crucial we study church membership and ecclesiology because they were produced by created by the gospel and mm -hmm. we want to understand the gospel uh, kind of a follow-up question I, you... I could keep going i can I... keep unpacking that hey man as much as you want to give on that i have a uh, sermon yes. open on my desktop literally that i'm writing for this week called guarding the gospel which is on matthew 16 and 18 on church membership mm -hmm. and discipline and so anything that you give is helpful for sunday so that's great <laughs> well another another text to think about is ephesians chapter 2 think about verses 1 through 10 right by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Gift of God is something I should Okay, well, think about verses six and seven, uh, where it says, you know, but God, while we were at sinners, reconciled. And it says he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenlies. Okay, think about that metaphor, raised us up. That's a spatial metaphor, right? In what direction is that spatial metaphor? Up. Think, think vertical reconciliation. That's verses one to 10. But then that's followed by verses 11 to 22. What is verses 11.22 about? Well, you who are far off have been brought near. Now you are one new man. Okay, what kind of spatial metaphor is that? Far off, been brought near. It's a horizontal metaphor. And if you look at, if you look at all the verb tenses, uh, he has made us one when he broke down the dividing wall of partition. 
they're all past tense. When were we who were far off brought near? When were we made one? In the cross. At the same time, same place, we are vertically reconciled. The vertical reconciliation between us and God brings with it necessarily, inescapably, a horizontal reconciliation. Once you were not a people, once you are a people, once you have not received mercy, now you receive mercy. Okay, so Peter Paul saying the same thing. And what just a wonderful, what a wonderful thing for us to be meditating on that in the gospel. I have these new brothers and sisters, which brings with them a whole host of, of uh, moral imperatives. In chapter, Ephesians chapter four, he now says, you know, pursue that unity. You've been unified, now pursue that unity. So that imperative follows the indicative of you're now one. That's follow why we study it. Follow the question to the be becoming a people. I mean, what do, what do you, how do you see this relating to the moment in our in Western culture today where uh, there is a history, I think, of people emphasizing the individual relationship that I have with Jesus Christ, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and and the the just struggle that people have today being a part of groups, whether it's whether it's politics or other, it's being identified as a people. And then now we've got this understanding that you just put forward that we become part of a people, a polity. I think it would be a fitting word, a, a group, an assembly of people, the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. How do you see that playing out in uh, in, in our culture today? Is, is that um, – how, how is that the, – the polity of the church combating or fighting against or relating to the other polities that we could be a part of? Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm... – kind of only guessing at what you're fishing for there nathan yeah uh, so let, let, me, let me answer that question if you tell me if i'm if i'm going in the right direction or not uh, before yep. you, you're trying to go um i think there's always a temptation to find our identity first and foremost in some worldly association worldly group worldly by worldly i don't mean bad i just mean of this realm mm -hmm. is all i mean of it. so I'm, I'm tempted to put my identity in family right I'm tempted to put my, you know, I'm, I'm a Lehman, you know, I'm son of Dave and Barb, you know, Roy and Amanda, grandparents on one side, uh, Eric and Helga on the other side. Okay, so I'm trying to put my, I'm tempted to put my identity first and foremost there. Uh, I'm, I'm tempted to put my uh, identity in an ethnic group. I, I belong to this ethnic group, and I define myself over and against other ethnic mm -hmm. groups. I'm tempted to put my identity first and foremost in a nation and, and define myself over and against other nations as a member of this nation. So all of these things are going to be competing identities, competing groups for who I am first and foremost. And when we become a Christian, we realize, oh, okay, who are my mother and brother and sisters? Oh, those who do the will of God. You know, the, the sons of, you know, do not say you can you can uh, uh, do not say you're sons of Abraham, for you know I can cast these out, and the, and the rocks will declare them. So, so sons of Abraham, uh, you know. So, so Jesus is like mm, first and foremost, you're you're a Christian. First and foremost, you're you're a member of my new covenant. You that's your first group to identify with. Not family, not nation, not ethnic group, not anything. Neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. This political class, that political class. No. First and foremost, not male or female, finally, either, 
really? Uh, what does it mean to be a man? It's not what the culture tells me. Jesus, you tell me what it means to be a man. Let me you, let, have you define it for me. So all these other things we find identity and become relativized, some will toss out. Some will refashion and let my, my inclusion in Christ and his family define me first and foremost. Very practically, how does that play by itself out? That means it's inside the local church. I'm going to learn to and practice what it means to be a brother or sister. Learn to and practice what it means to be a nation. Learn to and practice what it means to be a man, right? And it's there as being preached, uh, uh, being, 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 being uh, discipled by the word of God, what the Bible says, in the fellowship of the brothers and sisters there, that I learn to uh, occupied in these worldly identities in a sanctified, redeemed, righteous way, you see? So that then my politics out there, my family membership out there, my national identity out there is an outgrowth of what I'm learning inside the local church. So yeah, it, no, it, I think it, that's helpful. Moment, it's, it's such a different dynamic from I became a Christian, church is a place I go. And I can yeah. identify with all these other circles, be it my family name or politics, to my chief identity is a part of this people, this kingdom, with this king, uh, this adopted family. And that's who I am before I'm anything else. And everything I else, everything else I am, every other polity I'm a part of is flowing from from that. How I learned to do all the other polities, how I learned to do the all the other groups comes from from that identity uh, chiefly and foremost. So I, I think it's really helpful. Well, think about it. Nothing else lasts. My American identity is not going to last. The mm. fact that I'm, I'm a son of Dave Lehman isn't going to last. The fact that I'm married to Shannon, apparently, Jesus says, in the resurrection will not last. Right? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Like, I yes. can't even imagine what that will be. But, but all of those things are are, are to be pointing towards what it means to be a bride of Christ, a son of God, a brother and sister in the church, right? So these things are going to last, which means they, that's not to d- diminish the significance of being a husband or a son or a, a friend or a, a citizen of the United States, whatever, but it is to relativize them and to give them something that's prior over them. And that should then impact how I entered the, let's just, let's pick one area, public square. What am I doing in the public square? Am I trying to bring heaven to earth or am I representing King Jesus? Hmm. Well, I think we're there to represent King Jesus in the public. Court. That's our primary goal. Hmm. How, how do, how do I relate to brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree with me politically? Well, they, they disagree with me politically about some of the issues of this world, but is that ultimate or is our union in Christ ultimate? Right. And that, that's going to, that's going to impact how I now relate to, to these brothers and sisters who disagree with me politically. Think about uh, uh, Simon the Zealot and, and Levi the tax collector. Okay, yay Rome, boo Rome. Big deal, right? Big issue of that day. There they are, both following Jesus. I kind of pictured them in my head, kind of following after Jesus and kind of quarreling among themselves about how bad or good Rome is. <laughs> you know, right. Kind of 20 feet lurking behind Jesus or their little mm-hmm. little squabble again, mm-hmm. but they're still both following Jesus. Mm. I think that's really helpful. So here's a question. I, I 
we're we're not left and you this is one of the things you write about a lot that there is the the identity in Christ the being part of the people who are not a people it's not just kind of a feeling about being part of the universal church it's not only an invisible uh informal once you become a christian you're kind of tossed into the big bag but you you're saying that in scripture this is formalized and that every member of the church should care about um, the ecclesiology of plurality of elders, church membership, and church discipline. Why, why, why should it be formal? Why should it be clear like that? Why, why should every member care that we we don't just think about ourselves as the big body, but that we actually uh, put it in practices like church membership and church discipline? Yeah, let, 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 me, let, let me answer that two ways. Let me answer that theologically, and then let me answer it just kind of from the Bible. Theologically, uh, when, you, when you become a Christian, you're declared righteous, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're covenantally united to Christ, mm -hmm. and by being united to Christ, I am in the heaven, heavenly courts, I am set, declared righteous. Jonathan Lehman, righteous. Not because he's lived righteous, but because he's united to Christ in the covenant of the gospel. Right? We're, we're all on the same page there? Mm -hmm. Now, what if I live my life not pursuing righteousness at all, mm -hmm. caring nothing about good deeds. What does that say about me then? It's different than your proclamation. What's that? It, it looks different than your de declaration. Well, yeah, that calls into question my declaration. That's right. It's yep. like Paul of Romans 6, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by, by no means? Don't you know that you've died to sin and been raised? So, so I am declared forensically judicially in the courts of heaven righteous and then it's my living out of that right my putting it on you know think think colossians 3 uh, uh you've been you've been uh, uh talks about put on then you know holy and beloved the 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 the, the new man in you right uh, so the pursuit of righteousness in my life puts on the righteousness i've been declared okay same thing when it becomes to being a church member You've been declared a member of the family of God. Okay, do you put it on? You pursue it? Where? How? Have you joined a church? Or just kind of you pick and choose among your Christian friends that you like and hang out with them when you want? Wait a second. You, you call yourself a family member, but you never show up at the family dinner table? Yeah, I'm not sure I really believe you. I, I don't think you know what it means to be a family member. To be a family member is to show up at the dinner table. Right? Okay, so theologically, yeah, we... In the local church is where we put into practice, we manifest, we express, we reveal, we pursue what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. Okay, that 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 whole thing is the 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 you might say theological part of it. And then I think we just look very practically at the Bible. What does the Bible say? Well, mm -hmm. uh, what must we do to be saved? Peter says, repent and be baptized. And about three thousand were baptized and added to their number that day. What do we mean added to the number? Added the church in Jerusalem. Right when 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 the apostles refer to the church in Corinth, the churches in Galatia, what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about the members. They're not talking about the buildings. They're not talking about the leaders. They're talking about the members. People have marked off, you know, uh, that that sort of thing. Or and how do we do this? How do we formalize this? Well, we we formalize it first through baptism. We're baptized into the name, in the Jesus name tag, and we gather in the name. Right, we're two of them gathered in my name. Right? And then second, so we do it first through, through through baptism. We identify one another as citizens of Christ's kingdom. And then secondly, we do it on an ongoing basis. If that's the front door into membership, we do it on an ongoing basis through 
the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the ongoing uh, revealer of who the church is. So listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 17, because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Just break that verse down for a second. We who are many are one body, okay? Bunch of us, we're one body. How do we know? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. It says the same thing twice. Partaking of the one bread shows that we are one body. What does that mean? The Lord's Supper is a church revealing, church illumining, church marking off meal. It's not you having a turbocharged quiet time with a bunch of other people around you. It's you looking around the room, bread, saying, hey, church, this is us. Here we are, the baptized believers in Christ's name, right? So, yeah, it's, it's through baptism and the supper and what we in the West call church membership that we formalize these things. Membership is simply the sign. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Baptism and the supper are merely the signs of membership, the seals. It's, it's how we do it. Yeah. One, one pushback would be when people hear about the formalization of membership and the specificity oh. of be baptized join be marked off have your name listed uh, you are in or you are out that doesn't sound very loving that doesn't sound uh very open and and welcome um what how how does love relate that that's been a big theme from your your first book which uh you you had you actually had to redefine love before you defined church membership if i recall correctly in the the surprising offense old yeah, version. Yeah. How how does that how does that formality how can that be loving? We don't need to get married. We don't need a certificate. We love each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> Let's see how long that works. <laughs> what what <laughs> why don't you want to formalize it? Because you're selfish and you want to be free and you don't want to constrain yourself. Let's be honest here. Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's what you're going to say to the, the couple who says, ah, we don't right. you know, get married. Right. No, love is demonstrating and committing to. Love is demonstrating and covenanting together with saying, Hey, I'll take responsibility for you and you take responsibility for me. So as we endure this life together, trying to follow Jesus, we can help each other out. Yeah. Right. The, the lie of the culture is that love never place any, never uses any boundaries, never uses any restrictions. Love never says no. If you love someone, set them free. That's the lie of the culture. So people walking into the church believing all of that, um, with that kind of baggage, yeah, at, at first blush, church membership, church discipline, let's talk about church discipline. Those things can sound very unloving to us. But in the Bible, what is love? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Mm -hmm. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, in fact, in the Bible, love leads to obedience, and obedience is a sign of love. That's something we just don't understand today. Because in the Bible, to know God and to become like God is the best, most wonderful, most unbelievably uh, unimaginable thing you can do is conforming yourself to the holiness of God. And it's inside of the life of the church that we help one another fight for that kind of holiness, even when occasion requires exercising church discipline. That is to say, correcting sin, 
for Hebrews 10, for the Lord, or 11, no, 12, here's 12. I don't know. <laughs> for the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline you've had to endure. You know what it means to love your kids. You know, sometimes you have to correct them. And uh, so, yeah, love imposes constraints. Love sometimes puts up boundaries. And we need to remember that. So I, I, I actually think church membership and discipline are, are uh, that they can be practiced unlovingly, but in and of themselves, and coming from a right heart and done with wisdom and according to scripture, they are very loving. They help define love for the world, I would say. Jonathan, um, you know, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church published, I guess, the original version, 97, I think it was. And, um, and since then we've gone through four editions of it, um, obviously written by Mark Dever. Um, there's y'all, you, you host nine marks host weekenders, what, four times a year, three or four times a year, three, three, three times. Yeah. Yeah. Packed full of, of pastors, very difficult to even get into so many, uh, pastors, it seems are training up elders, uh, moving their churches towards health. Uh, I, I'm, I would assume you're receiving tons of questions from pastors constantly about as they, as they move in that direction, what are you seeing are the most common um, challenges that they're facing in their churches as they move toward health? What are the most common challenges pastors face in moving towards health? Uh, I don't know. Uh, this is the way we've always done things. You know, if, if, if it's an older congregation, you're going to hear some version of that. Um, this seems unloving to me. The one Nathan just, just, just mentioned, I think that'll show up. Um, I want control. You want control. Why are you doing that? You just want control. Um, that's common. Uh, does the Bible really say that men should be pastors? And, or does the Bible really say that this is wrong? Mm. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's, a good, what, what, that's a good question. What, what are the common hindrances? Yeah, I just, I think general worldliness is always showing up in one form or fashion in all of our hearts and lives, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not free of this. Yeah. You know, uh, okay, in individualism is a problem. Hey, leave me alone, me and Jesus. Consumerism is a problem. Uh, I come, I look around, I want for people just to be like me, uh, to meet me where I'm at, who share my experiences, who understand me, that's what I'm looking for. People who help me know myself, discover my spiritual gifts, become everything I'm supposed to be, right? Kind of a self-actualized spiritual journey. And the pastor and the members are there for, for that purpose. So, so that, that kind of uh, impulse and, and more consumer. What programs do they have? Is the music cool? Those kind of consumeristic impulses. Yeah. I think those can be a hindrance. Racial division, right? Racial division can be a huge hindrance to church health. National identity can be a hindrance to church health. Um, yeah. 
So when you lay out I'm throwing, membership, I'm throwing all kinds of things into my shop. Yeah, you're now. no, it's good. When when you uh, when you lay out membership and discipline, in, in, either just now or in your in your books, um, I think probably most people reading it would uh, would ag- agree. Would think, you know, that's that's loving. That is that is the direction I would want my church to go. That's what I would want my church to do for me as a member. Um, are there cautions that you would give pastors or, you know, people in moving towards uh, meaningful membership in moving towards church discipline that you would say, look, you need to consider these, these things and, and, and take it slow, even as wonderful as it sounds, you can, you need to take a slow approach to this. Yeah, that's such a sensitive question. I really, or a perceptive and sensitive question. I really appreciate that. What's the caution? Uh, number one, don't go too quickly if, if you're looking to bring church reform um, and, and divide the body prematurely because they're not ready for it. Number two, um, uh, how do I put this? Uh, don't, don't go beyond the Bible. Hmm. Uh, don't, don't and, and, and be gracious and, and, and be patient and be very, very careful not to require what the Bible doesn't require. Uh, be very careful to not become authoritarian in it, right? I remember one time I was I was asked to come preach to a men's discipleship group, and um, I prepared my talk. It was kind of on discipling and membership and all these things, and I, I prepared my talk. And then somebody a few hours before I went and gave the talk told me, "Hey, I, you should let you know this this these guys here really struggle. Kind of this church is sort of I didn't know the church that well." This church is known for legalism and a kind of judgmental doctrinaire, our way is the only way, uh, impulse. And everything I was about to say was sort of in response to mainstream evangelicalism and saying, hey, you need to tighten things up a bit. Oh, wait a second. So you're asking me now to, to look in the other direction, right? If I've been looking to my left, now you're asking me to look to my right. And yeah, there is a kind of authoritarianism that too quickly can show up in churches, a uh, we have, we have, we wrote, I wrote an art, Mark and I wrote an article years ago, ago called Don't Be a Nine Marxist, right? In other words, you can go too far with some of these things. Wait, you want to leave this church? You can't leave this church. Well, no, they, they, they can leave your church for another church. That, that's okay. Even if they're going to do it for immature reasons, you should be gracious, be loved, and let them go. You know, I, I don't think they could resign into the world, but they can leave for another church as long as they're preaching the gospel. Uh, really, you're going to discipline for that? That seems a bit aggressive. Uh, yes, I think. Full grace, patient, overly strident, binding things the Bible doesn't bind, little mindfulness for Christian freedom approach. All of those were adjectives, by the way. Mm-hmm. Approach to church membership and discipline is something we need to be, be very, very careful for. That's why I love, I love your question, because sometimes I forget to talk about those things when I, I need to, when I'm being asked about membership and discipline. So uh, just one more follow-up to that. If, if you're, it, it, you have a church going through um, 
change. Members are asking questions. Pastors are trying to lead sensitively, taking into account everything that you just said. Pastors, uh, a pastor, um, you know, is is trying is trying to do that. And let's say you had the opportunity to just be the voice of reason to the congregation. They were going to listen to you, and they were going to hear you, kind of. Uh, advocate for what the direction this pastor wants to lead the church. What would you say? I'm an out, I'm an out, I'm an outside consultant. You're an outside consultant. Yeah. The congregation has, has (laughs) hired you and uh, has said, Jonathan, we want to hear what we want to hear. Yeah. (laughs) We want to hear what, what you have to say on this. What would you say to, to the church members that are being led in this direction? What what would you, what would you say to them? Hmm. Uh, number one, look at your Bibles, mm-hmm. right, uh, and study your Bibles. Uh, membership and discipline are throughout the New Testament. No, it's not Costco membership. No, it's not a country club. No, it's not a gas station rewards program. If that's what you're looking for, that you're not going to find that. I'm with you. But if you're looking at what does it mean to be a part of a family, a member of a family, a member of a body, a member of a flock, a brick in the temple, it's throughout. What does it mean to be identified as one of the churches? It's throughout. What what how do you practice church discipline? Matthew 18, put him out. First Corinthians 5, put him out. How do you do that unless there's an in? Okay, so number one, I, I just encourage you looking at your Bibles and you know, listening to your pastors teach about it and looking at resources about it. The, the second thing I would talk about is, I guess I'd want to maybe look at your heart a little bit. Uh, a, a healthy, in a healthy church, leaders, elders are trustworthy. And members, Christians, are capable of trusting. Trusting authority in our cultural context is really hard because so many leaders have disappointed us. And we shouldn't give our absolute allegiance to any human authority. There, there is some proper suspicion, I dare say. But at, or at least there, there is a proper, you're not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus, not you. Right? says the wife to the husband, says the child to the parent, says the member to the elder. So there is a properness to that. But at the same time, God has also established certain authorities over us, uh, the, the parent, the husband, the, the, the workplace manager, the government, the elder, right, the pastor. So what does it mean to uh, trust him, this pastor? Uh, first Thessalonians 5 talks about honoring those above us. First uh, Hebrews 13, verses 7 uh, and 17. 7 talks about consider their, their way of life and the outcome of their faith. 17 says submit to them and obey them as men keeping watch over your faith. Okay, so as your pastors and leaders, assuming they're, they're, they're leading faithfully according to God's word, assuming they're not trying to apply the wisdom of man to you, but the wisdom of God to you, assuming that they're living in a manner that's above reproach and being faithful, uh, assuming they're not men who, who would fleece the flock and, and uh, live for shameful gain, but are living above reproach, okay, assuming those things, um, what does it mean to trust them? And I think cultivating that posture of heart is actually a Christ-like thing to do when there's faithful leadership. So yeah, look at the Bible, look at your heart. Good. Thank you. Thanks brother. Uh, what a good word. Just so thankful for you. One of the, one of the things that um, I'll just give you one, one last shot to kind of touch on is it, it, it seems like one of the things that is connected to everything you've said today 
is the very beginning is the identity that if you are a people, then all of these things, if you're a people, then membership, if you're a people, then clarity about the gospel. Um, so maybe just one last word on, you know, um, the, the, just the meaningfulness of the gospel making a people for the Christian in their everyday lives. How should they value this? Why is it so important for them? Yeah, I mean, Christianity is its own identity politics, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right? The one with all authority in heaven and earth is the definer of all of my life and all of my politics and all of my everything. Uh, The the, the meaningfulness of it, of of being made uh, one in Christ. Well, it, it starts vertically. We have to start there. And I, th- I think of Paul in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yeah, not I, but Christ lives in me. Okay. I have been crucified. Nevertheless, I live. Okay. Who, who's the I? Well, yet not I. Christ lives in me. Who is the I of Jonathan? That's Christ and everything Christ. So that means I go in before King Jesus when I become a Christian and uh I hand him all of those things that I use to identify myself. I, I, almost, I almost picture it like a, of a house with all this furniture and I'm taking all the furniture up to Jesus. Like, okay, here's this old couch. What do I do with it? And he says, okay, that couch is terrible. Throw it away. And then I take a chair up to him. He's like, oh no, that, that chair is great, but you need to refurbish it, reupholster it. So I reupholster the couch or the chair and bring it back. So I so piece by piece of, of the house of my identity. I bring it up to King Jesus. Like, what do I do with it? dumpster refurbish? What? Okay. So, what does it mean to be a Lehman, son of David Barn? Keep, throw out, refurbish. What does it mean to honor my father? Jesus is like, okay, do this and this. Okay, what does it mean to be an American citizen? How can I use my Americanness for Jesus for your purposes and glory? Okay, what does it mean to be a man? You define manness for me, King Jesus. What does it mean to be a writer? What does it mean to be college educated? What does it mean to what you know which, which I am? What does it what does it mean to be? To, to have light skin, quote unquote, white in, in, in this particular culture, right? How, how do I think about that, King Jesus? You tell me what to do. Um, so again, all these different places of my identity. And one of the crucial pieces in that refurbishing process is a discovery of this new brother and sisterness, this new bodiness, this new... Uh, uh, flockness. Those are big pieces of furniture that I now got to bring into the house that before I, I just wouldn't have. So there's a sense in which part of my repentance is repenting of individualism, repenting of selfishness. I wait, I now have to account for that older woman in the church who needs a ride to church, you know. Why, why do I, I don't want to pick her up, but well, no, Jonathan, she's, she's a member of your family now. She's, she's your sister. You pick up your sister on the way to church because she can't, you know, this old lady, kind of a shut-in or you know, in the assisted nursing facility. Can, can you and your family leave your house 20 minutes earlier to pick her up on the way? Yeah. Okay. Part of my repentance then is, is, is learning to see her as my sister. Whereas before I don't want to bother with that. And so on with every other member of the church. My repenting means including them in who I am. You see? 
And that then has moral implications for my life and how I live and how I spend my money and how I apportion my time throughout the week, right? Um, uh, act, 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 let me borrow a, a, a Mark Dever soapbox, a Mark Dever <laughs> preaching point. Uh, uh, Jesus in Acts 9 saying to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? Doesn't say the church, right. but that's who Paul's, Saul's persecuting. Mm -hmm. He's persecuting the church. Me. Why do you persecute me? Jesus so identifies himself with a people mm -hmm. that to persecute the people is to persecute him. Mm -hmm. Christ has included us in him mm -hmm. and identified himself with us. Why would we not identify ourselves with one another? When he's condescended to love sinners like us, yeah so Amen. there it is that's great praise god brother thank you so much for your time today anything that you're working on anything that's coming up at nine marks that would be just encouraging or helpful for us to know to look for when, when is this when is this podcast oh you said a few days from now you said, right? yeah okay so uh our next journal is going to be on identity actually okay. uh carl truman's book uh rise and triumph of the modern self mm. is such a good book we wanted to think about it at length so we have a number of essays sort of reflecting on it and the questions of identity as a journal that's coming out soon watch for that It'll probably be early february when you see that uh i just submitted a proposal for a book on authority uh, uh we have a book coming out on the prosperity gospel by mike mckinley and sean demars that'll be out in march watch wow. for that um Already available in the UK, isn't it? Is it already out? No. Okay. No, I don't think so. Okay. I thought Maybe. I saw Sean Demar's post somewhere that was available. Anyway, uh, especially interested in the identity journal. I'll also yeah. definitely be looking yeah, yeah. for that one. I think that's uh, that. that I bet that'll be really good. Thanks so much for your time today, man. Thanks for talking with us uh, and just encouraging us and reminding us of God's word. Uh, we sure appreciate you. We sure appreciate nine marks and uh, hope yeah. to see you and talk to you again soon. Thank you guys. Good to be with you. Thanks brother. Thanks for listening to the fire and bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing, following the show on your favorite listening platform. So you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review. If that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the fire and bones podcast. Thank you.